It's Thursday, July 29th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. In the sports world, there's something called the yips, where athletes unexplainably lose the fundamental skills of their sport and can impact their decision-making. In gymnastics, it's called the twisties, and it can be especially dangerous. The brain can disconnect from the body, and if you're vaulting in the air and spinning and land wrong, it can be catastrophic. Liz Clark, sports writer at the Washington Post, joins us for how Simone Biles, among other things, was experiencing the twisties. Next, dino nuggets are definitely having a moment right now. Parents buy them for their young, picky eaters, and young adults buy them for nostalgia. Major companies are taking note and even exploring other shapes to add to the fun nugget category. Tyson Foods says that they make up 21% of their total nugget sales. Ellen Byron, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for the dino nugget boom. Finally, mask and vaccine mandates are coming, COVID cases are rising, and so is the anger. There's a growing frustration that the vaccinated are having with the unvaccinated, as we see the majority of cases are all happening with those refusing the shot. Ronnie Rabin, health reporter at the New York Times, joins us for all the anger surrounding vaccines. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. She has made it so much easier for us in the mental health community to do our jobs. For someone at her level, the greatest of all time at this young woman's young age is just amazing. Joining us now is Liz Clark, sports writer at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Liz. Delighted. We're all still talking about Simone Biles. The Olympics world was shocked when she dropped out of the team competition. She's since dropped out of the individual all-around competition also. You know, she's been getting a lot of support from athletes and, and people all over the world. But she said that she did it for her mental health. She just wasn't in the right headspace to go out there and perform. And, uh, you know, I was just watching the second season of Ted Lasso, and they had an episode about the yips. So this is an unexplained loss of skills and athletes. They lose the fundamentals of the sport. It could impact their decision-making. And there's a similar thing that happens with gymnasts. It's called the twisties. And uh, Simone Biles for herself said she was experiencing some of it. And gymnasts all over throughout the sport knew exactly what she was talking about. So Liz, help us walk through what the twisties are. There's a paradox involved here about Simone Biles and her gymnastics and women's gymnastics in general. You know, the convention is that you need to make it look effortless and graceful. And that masks how incredibly risky and dangerous these skills are, particularly the ones Simone was planning to do at these Olympics. Messing up, being off just a slight percentage on her vault, on her balance beam dismount, on many of her floor skills, the result of messing up even slightly, isn't just a bad score. It can be a catastrophic leg injury. It could be a spinal cord injury. It could be a life-altering injury. So back to that term that seems so fanciful, but it's really (laughs) quite not. It's really a mind-body disconnect. And for a gymnast, with any flip you do, and there's a flip on all four apparatuses one way or the other, You're going to lose sight of the ground when you're flipping in the air. And so you need to have acute body awareness. Where is my body positioned relative to the ground? Some flips, you're going to be able to see the ground right before you make contact. But Simone tries several that are really blind landings. You don't see the ground. And that's where you cannot be off. You cannot have this disconnect. You can't lose track of where you are. 
And you can't really have any doubt. The notion of doubt that is my muscle memory going to take over here? Can I do this because I've done it 10,000 times? You know, that's what you rely on. But every so often, you have this doubt. And as gymnasts explain it, you can't pinpoint why it's happened. You can't say, I'll be over this in 24 hours. You just don't know. But there's really no choice when the stakes are so high but to stop. She took to the vault once. She was supposed to do a two and a half twisting vault. She ended up just doing one and a half twists. And that's when she knew at that point, oh man, I lost myself in there. And as you mentioned, kind of the cascading effects of it, how it negatively impacts your performance, where you're relying on that muscle memory, that instinct now gets replaced by thought, overthinking. You start worrying about it and then it just gets stuck in your head. It's so hard. And some of the gymnasts that uh, you know shared their stories in relation to all this, you almost have to go back to basics and retrain your body not to twist when you don't want to. So in a highly competitive situation like the Olympics, you don't have the time to really go back to basics on that. So you not only don't have the time, but you don't even have access to the equipment. Because these apparatuses are used by all athletes from all around the world, it's very limited, very controlled. You can touch this equipment for X number of minutes before you compete. So, and again, it's a self-doubt. We saw a little bit of it even in qualifying the Sunday before, that she wasn't the complete Simone, and it just reached a point where it was unsafe to her physically to continue. And there was a selfless component of her decision that I think is lost on a lot of people. She knew that if she persisted and tried to like fight her way through it, A, there's the risk of catastrophic injury to herself, but that her scores were not going to be her normal scores and it was going to hold back her three teammates. I'm very glad that the conversation of, you know, the yips and and the twisties in this particular context kind of came out because it helps explain that mental headspace that uh, Simone Biles was in. You know, a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, she quit. Oh, she can't hang. You know, that was the negative side of things. A lot of people were very, very supportive of her. her. This kind of pinpoints, you know, as you mentioned, the danger and that that doubt that overtakes you when you're competing at the highest levels. Yes, no, you're exactly right. You know, her her phrasing kind of sent a wrong cue to people who are just casual fans, when she said, like, I wasn't in the right headspace, I knew exactly what she meant. That's super serious. But it could be interpreted as like, I just wasn't feeling the vibe, you know, like maybe a snowboarder might say, yeah, I wasn't feeling it. I'll just sit down. It was not that at all. It's far more analogous to like the pilot of a 747 packed who shows up for the flight And he's suddenly stricken with vertigo or double vision or realizes something is wrong. And you could say, yeah, I wasn't in the right headspace. But the stakes here are super, super high for, again, for her safety, for her teammates' chances at a medal. So the people who are slamming her, which I do not get at all, I just really don't think they understand that this is more than Yeah, I woke up today. I wasn't really in the mood to do gymnastics. It's not at all that. Liz Clark, sports writer at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. During the pandemic, 
companies told me that young adults wanted the comfort of nostalgia or a little bit of quirky fun, and they have been buying more dinosaur-shaped nuggets and other shapes as well. Joining us now is Ellen Byron, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. Hi, nice to be here. Wanted to talk about something pretty fun, dino nuggets. Everybody loves them. Yeah, just this morning, I pulled up your article and started reading it. My wife came into the room and she says, what's wrong with dino nuggets? You know, she, she was so excited already. She's like, there's got to be something wrong if it's in the news right now. But uh, Ellen, you kind of were digging into how a lot of companies right now are turning their attention to dino nuggets, to other shapes, other fun shapes. And we're just kind of hitting this really fun moment with these things right now. So Ellen, tell us a little bit more about it. Well, food companies tell me that there are two different forces at play that has really driven big gains in novelty-shaped chicken nuggets. One is kids are home. They've been home from school. They're home this summer. And so parents are more willing to buy fun-shaped food than they used to be, especially because kids are eating at home much more than they usually would be. And then the second thing is young adults during the pandemic. Companies told me that young adults wanted the comfort of nostalgia or a little bit of quirky fun, and they have been buying more dinosaur-shaped nuggets and other shapes as well. And so between the trendy folks and the children's set, dinosaur nuggets and other fun shapes are on the rise. <laughs> Tell us about how these companies actually come to settle on these shapes and the kind of trials that they go to make them happen, because... The shapes are very identifiable, but certain things are tough to do. Very pointy edges are tough to do, things like that. Yes, that's when I knew that this was a story the Wall Street Journal had to do. When I talked <laughs> to the people inside the food companies who are in charge of what these shapes look like, I learned about just how seriously they take the curve of the neck and back of a T-Rex or even the proportions of a Bontosaurus and the pride that they have getting the body versus the neck and tail just right. And so I just asked very brief questions and really gave the floor to some of these food designers to tell me about how they achieved these shapes. And then, of course, because dinosaur nuggets have been strong for some time, other types of nuggets like cheese tots and potato tots as well those types of snacks have also started looking at novelty shapes. And so I got to speak with Farm Rich, who talked to me about all of the consideration that went into making Baby Yoda's head. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and they have to hold up. It has to withstand packaging and travel, you know, the flash freezing, all of that stuff. Nobody wants broken pieces. So it, yeah. it, it takes some time to get those shapes right. And, and I did see those cheesy potato tots, the Mandalorian ones, the Baby Yoda heads. They do look pretty good, you know, but the pointy ears yeah. is always a, a thing to consider. Right. And the marketing executive at Farm Rich told me that they also are limited by the canvas they're working on. Her cheese bites have to be right around an ounce big so that kids can eat them without needing them cut up because she told me that just ruins the experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so getting the proportions of the head versus the pointy ears just right and still stick to an ounce of cheese was something that took some time. Sales of frozen chicken nuggets were up 18% in the year to July, reaching about $1.1 billion. You mentioned Farm Rich. These fun nuggets, as they call them, make up a big proportion of what they sell. Yes, exactly. And um, 
Tyson told me their estimate that 73 million Americans ate chicken nuggets in 2020. And so, of course, this is a big category. It's a growing category. And so I think, you know, it's fair to say after talking to many nugget makers that um, we'll see more novelty shapes come out. And that's also not easy, just like they face all sorts of challenges trying to get a brontosaurus, a T-Rex, a stegosaurus. Those pointy spikes along the back are not easy to do in a breaded form. I am waiting to see what other types of shapes will come out soon. You know, because everybody gets inspired by how fun they are. It's inspired people to make other things, jewelries, clothes, Christmas yeah. ornaments. Uh, that was that was a pretty fun one. There, you talked yeah. to a woman who makes dino nugget earrings. Right. I mean, if you really need a smile in the middle of your day, go to Etsy and just do a search for dinosaur nuggets. And you will see every craft you can imagine in the dinosaur nugget form. A woman who makes earrings, she talked to me about how she carefully molds and bakes her clay earrings in her oven. And then she has a secret blend of sand that she uses to bread this clay and get that just out of the oven look to them. Ellen Byron, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. We're exhausted by the Ron Johnsons and the Tucker Carlsons. We're exhausted by the Margie Taylor Greens. We're exhausted by the right wing echo chamber that has been perpetuating misinformation around the vaccine and its efficacy and safety. Joining us now is Ronnie Rabin, health reporter at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Ronnie. Thank you for having me. We're seeing rising cases of COVID out there right now. Mask mandates are starting to be implemented again. Vaccine mandates in certain form and fashion are starting to happen. As we see these rise in cases and all of this stuff, we're also seeing something else rise, the anger surrounding all of this. And now this has been happening for some time. People on both sides of things, people are angry at the unvaccinated for not doing it. The pandemic is ongoing still. We should be close to ending this thing, but we're not getting closer And as I said, tensions just continue to rise with all of this. So, Ronnie, you spoke to a lot of people about this. What are we seeing? Well, we're seeing that people who've been vaccinated are furious at the people who are not, who are refusing to get vaccinated, which is a substantial number in our country. I asked him, are you angry? He said, no, I'm outraged. People want their lives back and they see these holdouts as blocking the way to normality, back to normality and prolonging this and making it more painful. On the other hand, you have these people who are, say, I'm making an individual choice. I'm not ready to make it. It's a personal choice. But people who've been vaccinated feel like it's not really just a personal choice because it has implications for society. Because when you get infected, you pass this on to other people. We need to think about the collective good. And so there's a lot of frustration, a lot of frustration. Sometimes it turns out it it comes up in personal relationships. Let's say a mask mandate, people hate it, whatever. That's kind of the easiest of all of these things that are going on, wear a mask. But these rising case rates really, as you mentioned, start having societal changes and impacts. Plans for school reopenings, workplace reopenings, that's huge right now. The CDC just recommended that everybody in a K through 12 environment, students to teachers, all of that, have to start wearing masks. This starts changing so much stuff when these case rates keep going up and people do not get their vaccinations. And we have a new, very transmissible variant. 
you know, that's a big factor to consider. This new Delta variant is much more infectious, much more contagious than the early variant was. And you mentioned kids, and, and indeed, some of the people who are most concerned are parents of children who are under the age of 12, and they don't have the option of getting vaccinated. So they are really kind of subject to the whim of other people around them. So parents are very concerned. Another group that are very concerned are parents and loved ones of healthcare workers and healthcare workers themselves who are really not sure they can do this again. It's so draining. It's so exhausting what they've been through. They put their lives at risk. We're facing a shortage of nurses because of this. Nurses are just burning out. And nurses are the soldiers in the hospital. They're the ones doing the real day-to-day work. And a doctor said to me today, you know, to see a young patient come in so sick and know that it could have been prevented, that it was preventable. It's just heartbreaking. So you've got all these forces at work. And people want brass tacks. They're tired of asking, offering, lottery tickets, concert tickets, $100 toward college, whatever, all this stuff. They're tired of that. They say it's time for serious measures, vaccine mandates, or restrictions on people's movement. You can't go into this bar if you're not vaccinated. You can't go into this concert. You can't get on an airplane. You can't get on a bus. You can't come to work. You really serious things that would curb people's participation in life if they are not willing to get on the vaccination train. Right now, 57% of Americans ages 12 and older are fully vaccinated. That's kind of the current number that we have. But talking about how, how people are fed up with it, right? A lot of them are starting to have a lack of sympathy, too, for people. You know, if they get sick, it's almost like, well, you kind of deserve that. People that you talk to said, let's start withholding stimulus payments to people that aren't getting vaccinated. And, you know, a lot of this stuff won't happen, but this is how strongly they feel about it, that we need to do some more coercive measures to start getting people vaccinated. Well, we took we withheld federal funding from highway funds from states when we wanted them to reduce their speed limit. This is a matter of life and death, too. So you say it won't happen. And maybe there's not political will, but the federal government does have some things in its pocket that it can do if it wants to withhold certain funds or, you know, take especially against states that don't meet certain bars. There are things that can do, that can be done if there's a will. I think many people feel like the government is not ready to go there yet. And what we're seeing right now is cities and possibly the federal government saying to workers, well, we want you to get vaccinated. Yeah. And if not, you'll get tested once a week. And right now, changing somebody's mind is, is such a slow process. It's a very individual process. You spoke to somebody uh, as well who, after some careful prodding, speaking to her doctor, she finally decided, OK, yeah, I'm ready for this now. She's actually a health a home health aide. She's a caregiver. The parent of the person she takes care of had been talking to her constantly about it. Most of her information had come from WhatsApp and social media sources where people had been sending her things that she now laughs at. You know, it's a microchip. It's the mark of the beast. She hadn't gotten any direct information from a healthcare provider, from a public health agency. She hadn't gotten any clear, succinct information. All the information was coming through social media. When she went to see a doctor, and this is a doctor she had a long-time relationship with, who she really trusted. I think she's known her over 10 years. She trusted that doctor. So, yeah, we don't right now have doctors involved in this process very much. We've had these mass vaccination sites, and we really need to get people. Not everyone has their own personal doctor in America. Not everyone has access to a doctor, but we certainly need healthcare providers stepping in. Ronnie Rabin, health reporter at The New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, 
and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.